Disrupt Nation. My name is Tony Delgado, and my guest today is the infamous Jason Capital. Jason, my friend, thank you so much for being on the show, dude. Dude, thank you all for having me. Thank you for dealing with my uh, schedule. I know we had to change the time, so I really appreciate your patience on that sincerely. And thank you in general for what you do for the wonderful country and state called Puerto Rico, because uh, you, you do excellent, excellent work uh, representing some amazing people, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's incredible because uh, I was talking to John Malat right before you came on, and we are talking about giving back and things of that nature, philanthropy. And while we're having that conversation, someone types in the chat, oh, you donated a laptop to me, and now I'm getting to get on these calls. So what we do is we give out laptops here in Puerto Rico, and then we collect email addresses. We don't just give you a laptop. We're like, no, you have to fill out a form. It's like a Google form. And then we give, we make sure those people get on all these types of Zoom calls. So it's, it's really cool. So cool. And, you know, these types of conversations, you never know. They're going to live even on iTunes and on YouTube and all these places that they go. Somebody five years from now can get a freaking little piece of nugget of information and it could transform their lives. So um, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to, uh, to come on and provide Of course, that. man. And hey, if you're watching this five years from now, thank you for tuning in as well. We appreciate you out there in the future. <laughs> Hell yeah. So uh, I, I did an interview on Power 105 last year and we were talking about Puerto Rico and all the opportunities that are here. So you recently moved to Puerto Rico. So I asked Brock kind of the same question um, that I'm going to ask you. Why did you move to Puerto Rico? Yeah. So, man, growing up, I grew up in a, a city called West Bloomfield, uh, which is a suburb outside of Detroit, Michigan. And uh, it was very, very, very cold where I grew up the first 20 years of my life. And I always knew growing up that I was going to live somewhere warm. I said I wanted to live on an island. That was like my thing. I didn't know where. I didn't know how. I just knew that's what I wanted. Um, and so I first moved to California where it was warm. And then uh, 2000, actually, man, 2016, I took a, a vacation to Dorado, right, to the Ritz-Carlton in Dorado, just with my girlfriend, Natalie. And we just spent like five days there, right? I didn't know anything about uh, Act 20 or Act 22 or anything like that. I just was like, let's go there. And we went, and man, we went to El Junque, and we went to San Juan and Old San Juan into the, the prison, the Castillo. Like I, like, I got the whole experience, right? And, I, you know, we drove down the we drove around the whole island, like on the water. Like, I was like, this place is amazing. Um, and there's no like new language that has to be learned. I don't have to change currency here. It's US. Like that was very convenient. Um, so I was already thinking about it. And then I find out about Act 20 and Act 22 as this incentive program to drive more entrepreneurs from the States to Puerto Rico. And then that's when I was like, all right, I need to like truly explore this and see what's up. Um, and so it took a few years to make the decision, but 2000, uh, late 2018. So about two years, a uh, year and a half ago or so, uh, made the move and man, dude, like it's changed my life. Um, I know, I know it sounds, it sounds weird, but I, island life is for me, like getting away from a lot of the busyness of, of like, man, when I go to New York right now or Vegas or Miami or LA or something to speak or something, I'm walking around and all the, I see all this concrete and tall buildings and I'm like, Oh, I hate this, man. I don't want to be around this at all. Like take me back to sand and palm trees and, and, and space from people. Like, it's just, it's better, man. So I'm, I am a huge advocate of, of Puerto Rico. I tell so many of my friends, they need to move their businesses there. They need to move there. Um, and I, and I mean it, it is, uh, it's a wonderful place. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. And I've, I've been to the Ritz uh, a bunch of times. I go to like little parties and they, they do the, they do the football parties on the beach. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, cause nobody checks out football in Puerto Rico. So they do them there. And I've asked guys, I'm like, Hey, listen, if they remove the tax incentives, would you move? And they're like, no, fuck no, this place is awesome. <laughs> and then the same question I'll ask is like, okay, if they had the same tax benefits, but you had to move to like Antarctica or Alaska, would you do it? It's like, no, fuck no, who the hell wants to live there? So it's really like the tax benefits is part of it. You know, you kind of cut the taxes, but you stay uh, for the culture. And, and I love that story that you went to El Yunque. Did you like jump off a waterfall and stuff? Yeah, no, we were I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't have the clothing and I was being a, I was being a wuss. I didn't jump off any waterfalls that day. But we did we did go to the top. Like we went to the top of it and, and that view is yeah, I mean the way the way I think about it is like the tax part is left brain and the experience is right brain. Right. So like the left part of my brain, the rational part likes the taxes, 
but the right part of my brain, the creative, the expressive side, I just loves the vibe and the people and, and the place and, and the nature and everything like that. Yeah, it's a win-win. Totally, man. So, so let's talk about how you're able to business. So you move to an island. Everybody can't just move to an island, right? Mm-hmm. So how is it that you are so lucky that your business is so digital that you're able to live on an island? Yeah, so man, uh, when I was, so I played basketball growing up. Uh, I played college basketball and uh, I played for four years in college, but the last year I stopped playing, I was burnt out, I was done. And I was like, I'll be a normal college kid for at least one year, not an athlete, and just see what like this experience is like. And the more I experienced college and real college students, I was like, wow, like you guys are going to work in a cubicle next year. And you, you're okay with that? And they'd be like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Pour some more beer, right? And they were just, you know, ostrich head in the sand, try to uh, basically try and block out reality and just to get through now, right? And basically for me, it was like, okay, I understand that. I get the job security. I understand all that. That's just not for me. I don't want that. I don't want a life where I work for a boss, where I trade 40 hours a week for a paycheck. I don't want any of this, right? And so I had to find a way to make money without having a job. And I met a mentor. His name was Craig Ballantyne, right? Uh, And Craig, like, I went to a marketing seminar in Washington, D.C. I met Craig for like half an hour. In fact, I'll I'll pull back here because it's an important part of the story um, for everyone here. So I was at Michigan State. And uh, I know I don't want a normal job. And a professor after class pulls me aside one day. My, my, she's like a humanities type. It was a, a bullshit class, right? But she pulls me aside and she goes, uh, Jason, you screw around in class a lot, which was true. You're going to be graduating in a few months. You need to figure out what you want to do with your life. And I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. And she's like, well, it's coming and you are not taking it seriously enough. You're going to need to find a good, steady job that pays the bills. She goes, do you think I wanted to be a college professor? No but it pays the bills same way that you need to also. And I have like smoke coming out of my ears. Like, there's no way I'm like, do you, I was like, in my mind, I'm like, did you really just admit that to me? Like, and so around the same time, there's this marketing seminar in Washington, DC. It's called the Underground Online Marketing Seminar by a guy named Yannick Silver. And uh, I go to this event, right? And I'm like, I'm gonna learn how to do this internet marketing thing. And very first day, very first hour of the very first day, I meet a guy named Craig Valentine. And Craig was like, well, tell me what you're doing. And I show him what I'm trying to make money online with. And he's like, yeah, that's not very good, but I think I could help you. And he, he literally took me through a sales process. I didn't know what a sales process was back then. And it ended with him saying to me, Jason, if I show you a plan to make money online, and I even show you other people like you who are making money online too, will you take action on the plan? And I was like, of course I will. Let's go. Right? And he goes, great. Give me a thousand dollars and I'll give you the plan. I was like, oh crap. Right. And I checked like my PayPal. I think I had $1,400 to my name in total. And I was like, well, I'm not going to let my professor win. Like, screw that. And so I PayPal Craig the money. He pulls me into the hotel lobby, pulls out a, like a napkin and he writes the plan down on this napkin and he slides the napkin over and he says, Jason, just follow this plan. People make money making complicated, but it's actually quite easy if you can follow a plan and you have a mentor to guide you. And I was like, okay, I'll follow the plan. So I go back to Michigan State in my dorm room. I take the napkin with me. I implement the plan. And within the first month, I was making $20,000 from my dorm room, right? And I'm like, this is amazing, right? This is the greatest thing ever. I take the first 20 grand. I go on Craigslist. I buy a, a convertible. spend all the money on a convertible. It's the very first thing I did because I was stupid. Uh, and I play Rick Ross as loud as I possibly can so all my friends know that I'm, I'm a boss now, Right. And uh, that's where it started, though. And pretty soon I moved to California and I, I grew more online businesses. And uh, you know, I've, I've participated in, and been profitable businesses in a lot of different industries and niches online. Um, and that, that's how it got to a point where like, okay, I can live anywhere I want because my entire business is, you know, is digital and my team is virtual. Okay. So the big question is, and, and they're asking the chat too in the live chat, what was on that napkin? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Whenever I tell that story, I'm like, I should sell a napkin. I think I could get a lot of money for this napkin, right? Yeah. Uh, well, what's funny is what he wrote in that napkin wouldn't, it's not really applicable now. It was literally, it was like, write an ebook, write sales copy, put the ebook on ClickBank, get affiliates to promote this ebook and give them 75% commissions. This was 2009 when that worked. Someone did that today, it probably won't work. And it's, you know, it just goes to show, I think the importance of timing. And also to me, like being first in anything. I think being first is so important. Uh, if someone tried to do that now, they would be last, right? Because people have been doing what I just said for over 10 years now. But in 2009- You $20 a month instead of 20,000. You're, you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose 20 bucks a month on your hosting, right? For GoDaddy, yeah. 
uh, <laughs> it won't work today, right? So the, the, I think the bigger lesson isn't what was on the napkin. It's the fact that one, I had a mentor, like someone who could guide me and help me when I was, you know, uh, I needed course correcting. And then two, I had a plan that was based on something that had very little competition, right? If you're new and you're just starting, you don't want to go to a place where it's super competitive because there's people there who've been doing it much longer than you and they're going to be better at it than you. You want to go to a place, you're going to have a much bigger advantage if you go somewhere where that's new, right? Where people aren't good at the thing because it just started or people are just starting to figure out. Like four years ago, ManyChat was a new thing on Facebook, right? Facebook Messenger. And in 2016 or 17, ManyChat was brand new. And so even if you never made money online, I know so many students of mine who started making six figures from their computer at that time, not because they knew like more about marketing than Jay Abraham or something, but because they were on many chat first. And so you didn't have to be good. You just had to be first. Yeah. And then whenever that was the clicks on many chat were so cheap to buy on Facebook ads. It's like a monkey could make money doing it. And, um, hey, and even if you were a consultant, you're the only consultant that does that. So you charge whatever you want. You have no competition. Exactly. Yeah. And listen, sometimes I think monkeys are smarter than me. So like, I'm totally fine with doing things that are like, it's so easy a monkey could do it. I'm like, great. I'll be good at that. Let's do that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give me a banana and a laptop and let's freaking do this. That's my dream. <laughs> okay. Uh, I actually have an obsession. I want to have a pet monkey. And uh, my, my wife hates me. She's like, no, you're not getting a monkey. I'm like, yes, I am. You're going to see. We're going to have a freaking monkey in the house. I want him at the wedding throwing the flowers. I love uh, it, dude. Little, what, do you know what kind of monkey? Uh, that small one, like a spider. Not, a not spider a one. Have you, yeah. seen, have you seen the, uh, like a marmoset before? No. Marmoset, dude. They're like the tiniest. Like they fit in your palm type monkeys. They're crazy. Oh, dude. Yes, yeah. that's what see, I mean. That There's one a is... monkey island in Puerto Rico. I want to go see it. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. It took oh. me a while, and I've realized it. I wanted to bring monkeys here. So that was my, my, uh, my secret obsession was I'm going to get monkeys because there's no monkeys in Puerto Rico. I'm going to bring them to El Yunque, let them procreate, and then that'll be like a tourist attraction. And then, and then I found out they're already here. There's a, a doctor. They're, they're not indigenous, but there was a doctor that brought them to an island. So there's a very small island in the south that has like hundreds of monkeys on it. And, uh, and yeah, so there's monkeys here. There's can, monkeys. You can, can you visit it? You can go canoe, but you can't get off. If you get off, the monkeys will try to like attack you and kill you. So, okay. Uh, cool. But if you're looking for some employees, go down there and you can hire them. Just drop the laptop. So <laughs> <laughs> Bring them a laptop and a banana. Yeah, man. Great employees. Oh, man. My, my, I used to work at a digital marketing agency. I was a coder, and we used to call each other code monkeys because we were just the monkeys that would just code and like drink Red Bulls. And uh, <laughs> that, that was a lot. Uh, I love it. So, so you talk a lot about the rat race. So how can, if you're stuck in the rat race, you're stuck in Bayer Belt, how can you get off? So to me, the problem starts with, the problem starts and it ends with education. And uh, growing up in schools, we weren't taught how to be self-employed. We were taught how to be employed. We were taught how to be employees. Um, that, that's what schooling is set up for, right? There's so many things that we weren't taught in school that we should have. Like, how do you have hard conversations with people? How do you communicate ideas to someone? How do you create a vision for yourself? How do you persuade someone? How do you sell something? How do you delegate? How do you manage your time? How do you manage your energy? How do you manage yourself? Uh, these are all things that entrepreneurs need to know. And the ones who are best at these things I'm talking about usually make the most money. And we were taught zero of these things in school. In fact, I think the closest we got to anything entrepreneurship when I was in high school was learning how to write a check to someone. Not how to get a check, how to give a check, right? That's what we were taught. <laughs> so I think it's really important that people learn something I call high income skills. Um, and it's my, it's my conviction at this point that you cannot earn a high income without high income skills. And we have a saying, we have skills pay bills, right? And so if someone is in a rat race, but they want to be self-employed, they want to figure it out. I don't care what path you take to make money from your laptop. You're going to need high income skills and high income skills. The big three are copy, closing, and speaking. Copy is words that get cash, words that motivate, words that drive action. It's the ability to, what words do you either write or say to, to persuade and sell or motivate. Uh, closing, the ability to convert a prospect into a customer, 
right? We've all had people who tell us, oh yeah, I'll buy, I'll get back to you, I can't wait, but you don't get the sale, right? So that ability to close that sale is so important because otherwise you don't get money, no money, no business. And then the last one is speaking. The ability to communicate your message to someone uh, in a persuasive, uh, engaging way, right? Especially with the, the progression of social media and the internet. Dude, like I just saw a stat, by 2022, 95% of the internet and social media will be video. It's all video. And so if you can't communicate your message on video, you're, you're not there, right? It's like the, way, the, the metaphor I use is like there's the mainland, which is where we all live on earth. And then there's Cloudlandia, which is where the internet lives, right? And now we live in two worlds. We live on the mainland and we live in Cloudlandia. And in Cloudlandia, you are invisible if you're basically not producing content on video. And the way to get content seen on, you know, on social media in Cloudlandia is by being good at communicating your message. In addition, you know, you got to talk to someone on the phone, make a sale, whatever, all that is speaking. So, so my thing is, I don't care what path you choose to try and make money online. You're going to be a freelancer, great. You're going to uh, do sales, great. You're going to sell websites, great. You're going to do Forex trading or penny stock or something, great. Like whatever path you're going to take, great. Almost all of them are going to require that you either develop one or two or three of these skills, copy, closing, or speaking. And so my thing is like, keep educating yourself as you're trying to build your online business or your hustle or whatever it is. And don't just shiny object to shiny object to shiny object to shiny object to shiny object. Like pick one of these skills and actually learn it, right? Get, a, get some courses on it learn the skill of copy, learn the skill of closing, learn the skill of speaking, because it will just come up for you and be helpful for you over and over and over again. Um, and to me, it's basically like if someone has a couple high income skills that they're good at, they'll never go hungry again. And uh, I, I sincerely wish we had been taught this stuff in school because the world would be a completely different place today if more people were skilled in some of these areas. What advice do you have for college students that uh, maybe they're in quarantine and they're going to graduate on zoom this year <laughs> wow um well normally my advice for for college for people who are college age but not in college is they should be very very happy they should almost rejoice because the majority of your future competitors are going into debt they're being taught twaddle by professors who haven't been there and done that in the digital age and uh, they're falling behind while you're able to get real in the world experience every single day as you try and build your online hustle now at 18 or 19 or 22 or whatever. So if unfortunately you've been in college all of this time, uh, then to me, it's like wrap your head around the idea that that piece of paper that they're going to give you in person or on Zoom does not mean shit. It is not going to get you anything. In fact, everyone, I'm generalizing here, but most people now they get an undergraduate degree, right? Most people have these degrees now, at least in America. So your degree doesn't mean shit. It doesn't stand out at all. Everyone's got one, right? It hasn't done anything for you. So you need to wrap your head around the idea. And it's hard because you've spent who knows how much money or your parents' money or gone into debt to pay for this to, to then say, crap, I made a mistake. This isn't going to be that useful for me. But once you wrap your head around that idea, say, you know what? I do have somewhat of an advantage um, because I have shown that I have the ability to study and I have the ability to learn. And I can build a foundation on that. And they, it doesn't matter if they're in college, they have a degree or not. Like they just need to get to work. They need to get to work on their business, on learning these skills um, and, and just developing themselves. Uh, I mean, really, that, that's all there is to it. The other thing I'll say is that just, I need to like attach a writer to this. If someone in like their life and they're like, they've had a dream their whole life, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to be an engineer. If it's one of those four and you're all about it, then you need your college degree. You probably need a master's. You need specialization. That's great. But if you're not going to be lawyer, doctor, accountant, engineer, then I don't think your college degree is going to be useful for you at all, to be perfectly honest. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. What do you feel or, or what would be your response to people who maybe demonize uh, online education? I was speaking to John a lot about this, how, you know, we demonize a thousand dollar course, right? Like writing a thousand uh, dollars on a napkin where we don't blink an eye at a hundred thousand dollar college debt and the college debt you can't even go bankrupt for right so what do you say to people who demonize uh alternative education yeah i mean two things one uh, i always think the bigger the lie the harder it is to see so like we can see a thousand dollars 
it's hard to see a hundred grand. Most people have never seen that. They don't know what that looks like. And so it kind of, it just gets right by our perception. Um, so just because someone doesn't see it as like a scam or this is maybe a little overpriced or something, doesn't mean it's not there. The second thing I would say is that uh, people who demonize those thousand dollar courses and stuff are learning in an alternative way. They probably don't have their hand in the cookie jar for that way of learning. Meaning the colleges who, and, and media who make great money off of colleges, like banks, banking, the government college, it's all connected with student loans, right? It's all connected. And so all these, these institutions have their hand in a cookie jar and they're all getting paid from the $100,000 get a college degree route. They make nothing on the $1,000 alternative education route. And so they have to demonize it. It's a marketing practice, right? It's just denigrating your competitors. That's all it is. It's just marketing. Yeah, us, us versus them, right? Yeah, totally. It's, it's an us versus them. And frankly, like most of these schools, they're going to demonize it until they figure out how to monetize it. And then they're going to say, one, it's great. And two, they invented it. That's exactly what they're going to say. And in fact, you can go on Harvard right now and you can even you can like, take Harvard courses online. They're already doing it. You know, they just don't know how to, uh, one, how to market it the way, like the thing is people sell $1,000 courses usually they're marketers and they're really good marketers. And so typically they're going to be better at marketing stuff than even a college would online, at least for right now. The other thing is how does a college, how does a place like Harvard sell an online course for 2,400 bucks or something like that when their degree is $200,000, right? Like they have a lot of inconsistencies and hypocrisy that they're going to have to uh, reconcile and rationalize and figure out in their own world. And I don't think they figured out how to do that yet, but I'm telling you the minute they figure that out, they're going to go ham marketing, get your, get your degree online, online courses. It's going to be the exact same thing that marketers have been doing the whole time. Yeah. What do you, what advice do you have for uh, someone who's starting a business? Maybe they don't have a lot of money, um, but they're looking to maybe take a advantage of the opportunities that are being created with the pandemic with everybody at home what advice do you have for someone that's like they're young and they're just getting started they don't have a lot of money but they want to make something happen yeah so i'll I'll, uh i'll share an idea here that i've been sharing with a lot of young people that i think they they could totally take advantage of right now one thing i teach to a lot of students who are trying to make money on the side or get started is hey you don't have the time to learn how to do facebook ads or seo or reputation management, or any of these marketing services that you can provide to small businesses. So instead of taking the time to learn those things, what if you just develop a relationship with those small businesses, while at the same time, you develop a relationship with people who already know how to do Facebook ads, pay-per-click, Yelp, SEO, and you're a middleman. Does that make sense? Right? And so if you're a middleman, it's called white labeling, meaning you can connect the small business to the service provider and you can make a 20 or 30 or 50% commission on the deal that they set up. All you had to do was connect them or you could sell the business and then white label the service providers stuff as your own, right? And that's what a lot of agencies do anyways. It's called white labeling or private labeling. And so what I recommend a lot of young people do now is you should be targeting uh, brick and mortar businesses right now. The actual businesses that are closed, right? I'm a big believer in zigging when everyone is zagging. So as all non-essential, whoever decided what's essential or not, I don't know, but all non-essential businesses, they got shut down. Uh, when that happened, all the service providers and all the agencies out there started targeting just e-commerce businesses for Facebook and, and all these other stuff, right? Because they're like, well, the plumber and the hairdresser and the spa and the chiropractor, they're all shut down. So screw them. I'm just going to focus on the e-commerce stores that are still open. Well, this creates a giant opportunity, meaning no one is trying to talk to these brick and mortar businesses right now who are in the most pain at dealing with the most uncertainty and can't wait to get back to work. So what you should do as a young person is target all these brick and mortar businesses, reach out to them on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or YouTube or email or whatever, or LinkedIn and develop a relationship with them now. How, find out how you can add value to their life right now help them, want nothing in return, build trust, build reciprocity, build a relationship there so that when this pandemic is over, the, 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 uh, everything is lifted and these places can go back to business, whatever, whenever that is, you have a relationship with 10 or 20 or 50 brick and mortar businesses in your community now. And the minute they open their doors back up, want, they want customers coming back in and they're going to invest in marketing. And all, so you have a relationship with them, you don't have to sell anyone. You just 
you close them and you connect them to a private label or an existing agency or some other service provider that can deliver for them and you get a 10 or 20 or 30 or 40% cut on all those deals. That is what I think everyone here should be doing right now if they're younger. And they, like the thing is, if you're younger, you don't have money. Like people who don't have money usually have time, right? And people got a lot of time right now. That's really great advice. Yeah, and, and sales, I mean, that goes into the, the three skills that you talked about earlier. Sales and communication and building relationships, building rapport. Those, those are skills that you need in life. So why not start working on them now while everyone's at home? Absolutely. And you have a captive audience, right? Like all these CEOs, I, I was saying this earlier, like Gary Vaynerchuk stuck at home with everybody else. Uh, you know, whoever you want to think of, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban's going on, on TV once a day doing interviews because he's at home. Everyone is at home. They're all in the same position. Uh, you know, my girl right now, she's doing lives with all these Latin American influencers, these Univision stars and Miss America, Miss Universe. Why? They're all at home. They're all at home. Hey, how you doing? I know you're at home. I am too. Let's do some business. Absolutely. Yeah. They're all, they're all at home. They're all bored. And it's like, there's, there's never been a better time where more people are receptive to invitations than right now for something to do. Is this going to be, uh, your best month or your worst month due to this pandemic? You best, personally. Best month. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to be too happy because I know people are hurting and I'm, I'm concerned about some people losing jobs and obviously the sickness, some people getting sick, but like I run an online business and everyone's at, at home. This is great. Yes. From a business, it's, yeah. I mean, like internet traffic is up, I think almost 50% and user sessions are way up. So eyeballs, there's more eyeballs and they're staring at the screen a lot longer right now, which is great uh, for us. The other thing is like, if, if we're doing better in business, it's because we are solving people's problems. That's, that's what all selling comes down to solving people's pain points. And so if people are in a panic, which they have been right now, that means that they're in pain. And if they're in pain, that means they have a problem that needs to be solved. And we were just, pure dumb luck. There's nothing that we did. We weren't crystal ball readers, which is pure dumb luck that we happened to be in an industry teaching online marketing or work from home. Um, that just put us in, in the best position possible for, for what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I said the same thing. I was like, it's, it's a little bit of luck. Like it's a little bit of foresight, like working from home and stuff, but it's a little bit of dumb luck that we got lucky. And even though we're not a non-essential service, whatever we're, we're allowed to operate. Exactly. Um, exactly. And but the truth is like, I have a friend who he works with gyms, like all physical location type gyms. And in a week he pivoted, he remade his entire business to take all of his physical locations to digitize them, all of them. Right. And he told me about it and dude, I was like kind of jealous. He was like, for seven days, he was like, I didn't sleep. I took amphetamines. I redid my whole business. I was a beast. And now we're crushing it. And I was like, fuck, that sounds fun. Like, damn, man. Like, yeah. I was a little bit jealous that it was kind of less friction for us. Like, it was pretty easy for us. So yeah. it, I think it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the ad costs are down yep. because it's supply and demand. There's more people at home. There's more supply. And less people advertise. None of the restaurants are advertising. It's freaking um, less demand. Yep. Um, it's definitely a crazy, crazy time to, yeah, to, dude, dude, impressions, impressions and cost per clicks for us are 50% off right now. It's half off. I'm, <laughs> I am buying like a madman. I'm getting shut down like a madman and I'm opening up new accounts like a madman. I'm just going to turn it and burn baby as fast as I can. <laughs> oh man. Um, what's some advice uh, someone asked this to John a lot and I want to ask it to you as well. Uh, Cause I kind of find myself in these positions sometimes I'm a great opener. I feel like I'm, I'm really good at uh, building relationships. I'm not the best closer. I think I have a negative association with closing deals. What advice do you have for people uh, who are maybe not the best closers? They're great at networking. They're great at creating these relationships when it's time to kind of go in for the kill. Uh, they, they struggle. Yeah. So, Dude, I totally empathize with that because I felt that way for a long time myself. Like I was a former dating coach, very good at talking to people and socializing and all that stuff and selling and copy and stuff. But, uh, you know, you get a little weird at the close, right? You kind of shape shift into like, you know, you feel weird about it or whatever. I get that. Um, something I had to work on myself. And I'll, I'll tell you 
what I've seen work best for me and my students and clients. Uh, one, you have to realize that you do like the only reason someone's going to do a deal with you is because they feel like they're getting more value than what the price that you're asking. It's the only way, right? So let's say you're charging a thousand dollars for something, right? And if they feel like they're getting $2,800 of value, like they're going to do that in a second, it's going to be good for them and it's going to be good for you. It's a win-win for everybody. Sometimes we forget rationally why this is a good thing in the moment and we get emotional about it because all we see is the money that we want to be taking from them as opposed to the value we're giving to them. That's typically a lot of times it's not concrete or tangible just yet. Like if you were closing someone on the best mattress in the world or something, and you know, they have problems sleeping, you probably wouldn't have any issues with closing because they have a bad back. They told you they can't sleep. You have a great bed that fixes their back and helps them sleep. And so, you know, and they're getting the result right away, right? A lot of times what we sell, especially selling services is that we're taking the money today but the result won't happen for 30 or 60 or 90 days. So there's a kind of a, a, a connection that needs to be made there that isn't obvious to the brain. So I think that's one. Uh, the other thing, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, so I was at dinner about a year ago. I was in California. Um, my mom, my dad, and my sister. My sister's younger than me. She's a personal trainer. And she just started to learn how to sell fitness to her clients. And she was having trouble closing also, right? And my mom, not my sister, my mom goes, Jason, you're good at selling what would you tell Joy, your sister, right, in this case? And I said, well, one of the best questions that we have found to ask at the close, like once you've, like what you do is you make it very, very clear, you clarify the fact that this prospect has a gap. They have a pain point. That's why they're talking to you. So Joy, you're selling fitness. The gap can be as simple as they weigh 180 pounds. They want to weigh 150 pounds. There's a gap there, right? There's a problem that needs to be solving. Once that's established, and you kind of establish value and so on, just the closing question. Like once it's clear, they have a problem, you have a solution. Once that is clear, sit back and just say, so where do you think we should go from here? And that's all you need to say. And it takes away, you don't need to be some silver tongued, smooth closer or anything like that. You just put the ball in their court, but it's such a good, smooth question. And my mom and my, my sister are like, wow, that's really good. So my sister goes back to Colorado where she lives, closes like three clients in the very first week, just using this question. But then she goes, this question's really good. I should use it more. And she meets a guy at the gym who she thinks is really cute. And she's like flirted with him before. And he flirts back. He's never had the guts to ask her out. So they're talking and they hit one of those awkward points in the conversation where he should ask her out, but he won't. And she goes, so where do you think we should go from here? And he's like, uh, do you want to get a drink? And she's like, yeah, sure. It sounds great. Right? So she closed him on a date. Right. So uh, where do you think we should go from here is, is one of my favorite questions in the world to ask for closing. Yeah. Cause they want to buy. You're just giving them the opportunity. You're giving them that overhand pitch. Just like he wanted to ask her for a drink. Your prospects, they want to buy. You just want to give them the opportunity to, to say yes. Right. Exactly. And, and you want to make it feel like it was their decision, not yours. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause if, if they feel like it was your decision, th then you'll own the decision not them. So when they buy the product, they won't feel like they own the product. They'll feel like it's yours and they're just borrowing it. But if they make the decision, they own the decision. Now they own the product and you're not going to get that buyer's remorse uh, later on. That's, that's freaking golden. That's amazing. Um, somebody said that uh, my degree is in the house somewhere. I never used it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, are you ready to be an honorary Puerto Rican? Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I am a Puerto Rican. <laughs> not not it's ethnically, like, of course. I got the yeah, driver's yeah. license, voter's registration. Yeah, I'm, I'm legit. <laughs> yeah, Puerto Ricans are uh, very good looking and charismatic, so you, you fit right in. Uh, <laughs> uh, they also know how to party. I will tell you that. They know how to have fun. They have uh, – We I always joke with like uh, some of my Puerto Rican friends that, man – I was like, man, you guys will make up any excuse to take a day off and just enjoy life. Like you guys, I don't know. I was like, teach me how to do that. Cause I don't know how to do that yet. <laughs> uh, what's one word to describe your mindset? Relentless. Uh, my, I mean, I wear it on my shirt every day, man. Like it just says, keep fucking going. I literally have a hundred of these in my closet. It's the only shirt that I wear. And it's just my reminder of like the, the, the key, like, the key to success to me is just perseverance. 
it's just not going from failure to failure and just not stopping. And I, uh, like, I literally meant like, I, I have a card here. I do these note card things. And I have this one right here at the top. It literally says victory belongs to the most persevering. That's from Napoleon. Right. And it's like, that to me is the single most important quality. If I, if I need to get a, like a KPI or an indicator, if someone's going to be successful or not, it's, will they persevere no matter what? Like, that's it. So to me, that's, that's all that matters. If anyone's listening right now and they're new or they're young or they're unskilled or unexperienced, none of those things matter. The only thing that matters is if you're willing to keep going no matter what. And if you are, you'll, you'll do just fine. Absolutely. What do you look for when building a team? And how do you choose who to surround yourself with in the company and business activity? So I, uh, when we're hiring, um, what I want to do is I always want to hire to improve the average of my team, right? So if you take the average of everyone in your team right now, and let's say they, they equal a seven for whatever reason, just say a seven, the new person, when you hire them, will the score of your team go up or will it go down? And in my book, it has to go up for them to be worthy of being added to the team. So I always want to hire to improve the average. Um, I always think about David Ogilvy's quote where he said, uh, if as a company, we hire people smaller than us, we'll be a company of dwarves. But if we hire people bigger than us, we'll be a company of giants, right? So I'm really, really big into hiring people who are better than us. That's, that's what I want. Um, I want people who are smarter than me, more talented than me. I, that, that's what I want. I don't, I don't have an ego about that. Like, that's what I look for. The other side of it is like the Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger thing. So when Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are looking at companies to buy, which is kind of like hiring for them, they, uh, they look at the CEOs and the operators of those companies very closely. And they always want to only hire or buy in the companies where the leader is one, someone they like and admire and someone who is honest, high integrity, and someone who is passionate about what they do. Because if you like and admire someone like, for instance, your son or daughter, you'd be okay if your son or daughter dated that person, right? Like that's, that's a good thing. They have high integrity. You'll get along with them, et cetera. Um, and the like and admire part is really important also, because if you're working with someone, you're going to be spending a lot of time with them. And if you don't like that person, it's going to affect your, your, your state. Uh, and that's going to affect your work. So those first two ones. And then the last one, um, Someone is passionate about what they do because they found if someone's passionate about what they do, they will, they will be relentless trying to solve problems. It's all they'll think about, right? Like, like, and on our team, we always say part-time is no time because like it just, it is like the people on my team, they don't have to work 12 hours a day, but they choose to work 12 hours a day because they are freaking passionate about what we're doing. Um, and a lot of that passion, like I can teach it a little bit. I'd much rather hire the passion than teach it. Uh, so those are the, those are the key things I look for. And I think it's a really good question. You asked that man, cause I would say the biggest, the biggest uh, gains that I've had in my businesses in the last couple of years has come directly from me uh, hiring the right people and then learning how to train them and, and kind of nurture them into the leaders that they are today. I love that. What's the biggest mistake that you've made in your career that you wish only, you could have? only one, uh, <laughs> Top three, sure. Yeah, I got 40 for you. Um, one of the biggest was, was hiring. Uh, I, when I used to hire people, we'd have a problem in the business, right? I, we, we're, there's too much activity here and not enough people, so we need to hire someone for that role, right? That's how it happened. I'd hire someone, I'd tell them what I wanted, and then i just assume they would know how to do it, they would do it consistently, and I'd never have to check up on them again. Um, I would also hire as fast as I could because I just didn't want to deal with it. And I wanted someone to help me with that problem as quick as possible. So I'd hire for the short term and not the long term. And now, um, I, you know, I go by the old quote, right? Which is like hire slow, fire fast. So like I take my time hiring, I find the best people, people who are going to improve the average. And I really, when they would hire them, I spend a lot of personal one-on-one -on -one time with them. Even if they're not like in the leadership team, I will spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with them because I want my mindset, my values, these, these understandings, I've, distinctions I made to continue to transfer over to them. And I want to develop them as much as I can. My whole thing is like, if I just develop the shit out of my people and put that and make them like great, great, high value, high integrity, rational, smart people, nothing to do with the business, just make them great people. The business will take care of itself. I'm all about the people. And I don't mean, I probably spend 90% of my time with my people. Uh, working on them as humans, not working on the strategies in the business and the strategies take care of themselves. 
So you, you say the biggest mistake is probably like hiring the wrong wrong people. Yeah, yeah dude. I used I used to hire so many of the worst people, and it wasn't that I lost a lot of money because you know you hire someone, you fire someone, you hire someone, you fire. I lost time. I lost years. I uh, not getting results. Having having B players and C players on the bus. That was like. And I just, I think about now how fast we grow with A players on the bus and only A players. And I'm like, how many years did we waste with these people who just weren't good fits for us? And that it, it hurts. It hurts my gut when I think about that. Mm, that's huge. And do you find that hiring the A players, is that more expensive or it just takes longer to find the A players? So you're in pain because you don't have it yeah, dude, solved dude. right away. So Hiring the B players and the C players is expensive. A players are cheap because I'm, I'm dead serious. On paper, they might get, the A player might get paid more, but the, the undocumented costs of a B player or C player to the morale of your team, to the output of your team, to the opportunity costs you're missing out on is extraordinarily expensive. And so having to pay an A player 10 or 20 or 30% more than the industry average is like nothing right? Compared to the ROI and a player will, will usually if you get an a player, they should multiply the output of the role that they, that they step into by like five to 10 times. So the ROI is usually enormous. The other thing we do, and I spend a lot of time on this now, I didn't used to do this. Um, like, dude, I'm, I'm doing business correctly now at this point in my life. If I do almost nothing, right. And I don't mean that from a lazy perspective, because I still work. I work all day. It's all I do. But what me looking like working now, is usually me sitting in a chair outside with my dogs and a yellow legal pad, just thinking and creating systems and processes that can be implemented by other people and can scale certain parts, our fixed bottlenecks in our company. Right? So like what I do has changed so much as, as you hire these A players, because you have people who are great. You can count on to implement and do all the things that need to be done. Uh, in the business. So, one thing I spend a lot of time on when I'm with this legal pad and stuff is really just figuring out the incentive structures for my team members, especially on our leadership teams. Meaning most of my top people, they get paid a very small base salary, but very, very heavy and results-based commissions, right? So every, I try to make every single team member on my team, I try to make what they do directly related to revenue or profit. And so if they can get the revenue and profit up, then they will get paid more. I mean, everyone from my copy to my project management, to my video creative team, like all these different roles that aren't directly related to income generating activities. I find, I try and find ways to tie what they do to that so they can get rewarded on commissions based on performance, not just on a, a paycheck. And that way I turn all of them into mini entrepreneurs themselves, as opposed to uh, just employees who are check in, check out, get a paycheck. I love that. Does I've that make sense? In, yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I've been in so many toxic company cultures, especially in like corporate America, kind of bigger, older companies. And it's 4.59 and they're looking at their watch. They're ready to run out the door because it's like, you know, screw this place. The second that uh, it hits five o'clock, they, they're ready to hop in their cars and, and drive away fast as they can. So no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, especially like with, it's 2020. You know, the, the future workforce of Western society is it's people our age, right? Yeah. And people our age don't want to work for some faceless, soulless corporation that is cold and it, they, don't, they don't like the mission of it. Uh, and it's a paycheck and there's bureaucracy. Like they want to they work in a results-based economy, not a time-based economy. So it's like, if I can get you the result you want in 20 hours instead of 40, should that matter? No, I don't believe it should. Right. And I think a lot of millennials feel the exact same way um, with, with corporate culture or work culture or whatever. So I try, I just, I, I do my best. I try and create that for all my companies with all our team members and just train them to be like mini CEOs of their own little, their own business within the business. Your entire team is remote, right? Everybody works from home. Yeah. Everyone works from home. Uh, 44 people. Wow, 44 people. 44 and how people do you manage that with like communication and, and all those the things that... Yeah. Um, they're like so, a check-in, check-out type of thing? Yeah, like totally. So we, have, so we have cadences where we do, we do daily huddles with different segments of the team. Like the video team has a daily huddle, sales team, daily huddle, marketing team, daily huddle, uh, coders, daily huddle. Um, 
we do we do weekly cadences so a weekly meeting with each department as well um the biggest thing i would say in managing virtual uh has been has been the cadences like i just mentioned and then the other part is the centralization of data has been huge um meaning like if a project manager has a private conversation with someone on slack and they message one person something but there's four other people involved in it they either have to go message each person one-on-one -on -one, right that same thing or someone might get left out and it sounds silly but operationally the cost on that is enormous and so centralizing all these communications or centralizing the data has been huge so for every piece of every business we have we have uh, a spreadsheet that tracks all the kpis and all the important metrics and that way everyone on the team has access to the same thing and so when they meet each week everyone can get on the same zoom call and look at the spreadsheet and we can go over okay are we on target? Are we not on target? What do we need to change, et cetera? What are you committed to? What are you committed to? Great. All right, let's go. You know, and so that part has been uh, the, the, the biggest part to being able to actually function um, in a virtual environment. And to be perfectly honest with what we have, I have no doubt in my mind we would suck if we were in an office together versus virtual. Because um, <laughs> I, think, I think we'd all be so distracted and just having fun and like, you know, fucking around. Uh, <laughs> and uh <laughs> And, and frankly, it's just, I, I, I love work from home. I love virtual. I think it's, it's the greatest thing in the world. I used to have an office, a uh, big corporate office for all my, it was, I hated it and I'll never go back. <laughs> yeah, no, I, so much time is wasted in like commuting and uh, going to the water, water cooler and lunch. Yeah. Lunch is like a two hour thing when you're in a fancy. Man, I had uh, a, I had someone on my customer support team who I didn't know about this, my employees had to tell me about it, who would go to the bathroom like three times an hour, like 10 minutes each time, right? Because <laughs> he's on the clock, but he's, he's going on Instagram, sitting in there, right? And it's like, that, that was me when I was hiring C players. That was, that was the type of stuff I hired. What's the number one thing that you look for to identify the A players? Dude, it's so... Uh, like I mentioned the checklist that Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have. And I really, I really try and think about that. Um, but it's like, there's just a certain level of passion and coachability that you can just like, it, it's intangible. I can talk to someone in five minutes and I can size it up and I can see like, wow, this person is, they like, they're, they're excited. They want to grow. Um, something I look for a lot is, are they, are they, do they come batteries installed? Right. Meaning like, do they need to be charged up by other people or do they come batteries installed and they can start themselves? And so I really, really like you get it. Listen, you get a whole group of people who are all batteries installed on the same bus. Like that is, that's a shit. That's a bus that's going places. I love that. Yeah. Um, well, Jason, I want to thank you. I know we're running low on time. Um, if you have, I guess, I got like two more questions. If you have like one piece of advice for everyone in quarantine, I think a lot of people, are pessimistic there's a lot of fear mongering happening on the media things of that nature uh what advice do you have from people who are home right now and trying to figure it out yeah do, do not let your habits go to shit right so like everyone's been home i know puerto rico the, the quarantine we started uh march 16th it's april 20th so it's like 35 days america was a few days after it's so like 30 days a, a habit takes 66 days to form and for all we know, we might be in quarantine for 66 days. It might be less, but we all might be. And so like you may come out of this thing if you let your habits go to shit with new habits that suck and you're gonna have to break those and rebuild all these new ones, which is so hard, right? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So take the time to protect your habits now. So when this is over, you're like, you're still okay, right? So hopefully you haven't like, you haven't been wasting time on Netflix, watching, you know, stupid shows, getting into like, I just, unrelated to a quarantine, this advice goes infinite. Just don't watch TV. Like you want to watch movies, watch movies. That's fine. But there's something crack-like about television that is just bad for your brain because it's shorter, it's more dramatic. And Netflix, you watch one 44-minute episode in like three seconds, the next one starts and you're, you're binging and you don't even know it. And what it does to your brain, we don't know yet, but I assure you it's not good. So uh, watch your habits right now. And I would challenge everyone for the rest of this quarantine, just do a couple things every single day. See if you can do this. See if you can read for just 30 minutes a day, like read a book. I don't care what book, just read a book for 30 minutes a day. 
spend at least 30 minutes a day exercising, do push-ups, do sit-ups, go for a run, a jog, whatever, do yoga, whatever you got to do. And then number three, spend 30 minutes talking to someone you really like, like connecting with a friend, a family member, just get on Zoom, you guys have a drink together, hang out, whatever it is, I don't care. But if you do those three things, you're going to stay on top of your brain, you're going to stay on top of your health, and you're going to stay on top of your happiness and your social life. And so it's three very simple habits that I've been trying to do every single day uh, since it started. I've been, I've been, I mean, I do more than that, but I'm trying to start people small. But if you can just do those three things 30 minutes a day, uh, I think you'll put yourself in a really good position for when this is over to, to keep succeeding. Okay, I have one bonus question. You mentioned books. I see the bookshelf behind you. Must read books, books that changed your life. Wow. Okay. So number one, a uh, book called Mastery by Robert Greene. I think everyone should read that. It uh, will really get you focused on, on what is the right path for you in your life and how to go about achieving that. Second book uh, would be Anything by Ayn Rand. So The Fountainhead, which I keep with me, right? Or Atlas Shrugged. Um, these are big, big books, by the way, but they are worth it. I assure you. Um, a couple other books for entrepreneurs. Uh, there's a book called Wealth Attraction by Dan Kennedy. And I think it's one of the best marketing books I've ever read in my entire life. Very few people know about it. So it's called Wealth Attraction uh, by Dan Kennedy. And then if you're a man, if you're a male, read the book called The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. D-E-I-D-A. If you're a woman, read it too. You'll understand your man better. I promise you. Um, but I know, I know a lot of guys follow me. We have a lot of guys probably on this call. So those four books are like, like, don't even talk to me if you haven't read those four. Awesome. Um, so last question, what does disrupt mean to you? Man, to me, the biggest level, to me, it means unplugging from groupthink, right? And so groupthink is what does the majority think? And then you think what the majority thinks because social proof, et cetera, like monkey see, monkey do kind of thing. And if you're going to disrupt something, you have to inherently be unplugged from groupthink and start thinking for yourself and becoming mentally free. And so disrupt to me is, I believe the minute you unplug from groupthink and you start living authentically and start following your heart and going for what you want yourself, you're going to automatically disrupt because you're going to be paving your own path instead of walking the same one that everyone else walks. So uh, man, disrupt to me at its core is about like freedom, dude. I love that. Yeah, Jason, thank you so much for everything that you do. Uh, I'm super happy to have you as a, a fellow Puerto Rican down here on the island. <laughs> um, if people want to connect with you on social media, they want to learn about what you're doing, where's the best websites? Please do that. Yeah, totally. Just, just follow me on Instagram at uh, Jason Capital and uh, feel free to shoot me a DM. Me and my team are on there all the time chatting with people. So uh, IG is the place to be. Awesome. Jason, thank, thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate it. Dude, I appreciate you and everything that you are doing with your organizations, your businesses, for the island. I'm dead serious. You put so much energy into it, and uh, it's, I notice it a ton. So uh, thank you to you, and keep it up, man. Thank you, my brother. Of course, brother. Talk to you soon. Peace. Talk soon. Ciao.